When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that drew me to the film is that almost fantasy, sci-fi, horror, but it isn't quite any of those things. It's leaving your imagination up to it. And it gave me a lot of Twin Peaks almost vibes. It's a fear of something that isn't personified in like a monster or a werewolf or something like that that's in horror. And then it's also got moments that are really, really funny. It's like a, a weird little genre on its own, outside, like at the back <laughs> of a street, and it's all boarded outside. up. And sometimes like you have a peek in there and you're like, oh, shall I go in? You go in and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have gone in there. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today I'm joined by Miz. Hello. Sophie. Hi there. And Helen. Hi. And we're talking about killing of a sacred deer. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to FlixWatcher Podcast. Our guests today are Ms. and Sophie. Over to you, please, Sophie, to tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hi, um, I'm Sophie. I am the acquisitions manager for a podcast network called Audi. Come and check us out, audi.co. Um, and I basically look after all the amazing podcasts on our network, including Thank you. the incredible Flixwatcher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure to, to join the network. What what kind of what brought you to podcasting in the first place, and 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 bringing them onto the platform? What kind of things do you look for in the podcast to bring them to Audi? I think I just look for just passion for a podcast and commitment to 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 making it. I think I've we're not particularly you know uh, chasing what's the word I'm looking for. Like we're not we obviously we love to work with big hitters, but we are particularly though know, happy to to work with lots of different types of creators and podcasters. And that's what really interests me about about doing it and working across audience because I just love working with podcasters, love podcasts, used to make podcasts many years ago myself. So yeah, I just just enjoy enjoy that that process and and discovering these shows and and bringing them onto the network. You used to make podcasts. That sounds so sad. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was, it, what well, I, I won't say the name of the podcast because God forbid I do not want somebody to hunt it down because it was a dating <laughs> podcast from like 2016. And there's some stories on there that nobody needs to hear. Um, and so I just, I, but yeah, I started in it and then I, I was working music at the time. I started a podcast plugging company, which was helping match talent with podcasts and mm-hmm. things like that. And then, yeah, it just ended up progressing into kind of acquisition and, and that side of things and, and came to work with Audi love their kind of ethos what they're doing the way they want to kind of change the landscape and and make kind of the monetization and marketing aspect of podcasts available to everybody and and yeah so here i am 
doing my sales pitch. <laughs> and you work with Miz, uh, who's yep. in the top left-hand corner of my screen. How are you doing, Miz? Who are you? I'm good. I am Senior Marketing Manager at Audi, so working closely with Sophie. And I also ran currently on pause a podcast myself called Promote the Hell Out of It, where I talked to musicians and anyone who had a, an alternative lifestyle, but uh, had now had to focus on actually running a business for tips on how, uh, how I could have a productive life while still doing the things I loved. Were, were there any top tips that you can take away that you can share with everyone who's listening now and myself? Because I, you know, I need to know. I mean, um, top tip was probably reading the four hour work week, um, by Tim Ah. Ferriss, because, um, you can literally highlight bits in there and write emails, email templates that you can use for different situations and stuff. Um, that was probably the tip that most changed my life. One of the key tips on that was basically get a VA from somewhere like the Philippines and pay them a a half decent wage. I mean, I I picked, I picked and chose, I picked and chose what I used from that. I didn't use everything, but... I think it was more more the outlook of uh, of what was possible that uh, that I found helpful. <laughs> Tim Ferriss is a very successful podcaster as well, so there you go. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I mean, inside baseball, we do have a VA from the Philippines who helps with our posting and is very good. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for your help Thanks, over Stephen. the past few years. It's been genuinely like saves myself and Helen so much time every week. It's it's, be- it's beautiful. Wow, and that was Amazing. taken from Tim Ferriss's book. So I agree with you. Four hour work week is definitely useful. Um, but we're not here to talk about Tim Ferriss or other podcasts <laughs> or four hour work weeks will be more productive. And uh, we're talking about films here today. You've chosen Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, can you tell us first of all why you chose it, Miz? And then I'll get the, the timer in which you'll have 60 seconds or less to give us the synopsis. The reason I chose Killing of a Sacred Deer is firstly because I like a lot of his other films. And secondly, because I By think- By that you mean Yorgos, the, the director? Yorgos, the director, yes. Um, Well, I like a lot of the actors too. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, But I like Yorgos's other films. And I find this is the film that is is really divisive, which makes for really good conversation because sometimes um, that you can pick things out that a film that everyone loves doesn't doesn't quite bring to the table or the pub. Okay, and your 60 second timer starts now. Okay, so this is about uh, Stephen Murphy and his family, Anna, young teenage daughter, Kim, and young boy, Bob. Um, They seem like a pretty perfect family. He is a surgeon and he makes friends with a a boy called Martin. He starts taking him under his wing, but things start to to go from bad to worse when they find out that uh, there's a bit of a sinister agenda for Martin coming into his life. Um, that Stephen had been part of uh, the reason his father had died and uh, things go pretty wild. Um, I think I'll leave it there so that we can discuss everything that happens. Does that? That's. I think that's part of what the film brings to the table, right? The fact that it's quite open to interpretation after that. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, start, I mean let's talk about Yorgos' Yorgos's other films. Um, he's got a few Greek films in, in Greek. Helen, you wanted to jump in there? Well, we've uh, had the lobster on here before. That's, that's yep. his we've had. Well, that was your minute timer there. You've, you've I, I, I beat it, it to smashed it. it. Smashed it. Yeah, the the lobster the lobster's probably my favourite. Um I have watched a couple of his others, um Dogtooth, The Favourite, and Alps, which I did watch but I can remember very little about. So you've seen all of them then, haven't you? I think, I, I think he's got he quite it? a few more. I think he's got quite a few more, but maybe okay. in, in, in Greek. Sh- the short film Mimic that was on movie, I think it probably still is on movie as well. I, I've only seen his main main ones. His main? Yeah. Like Dog Tooth, oh. The Favourite, yeah. Lobster, this. 
and Mimic. I haven't seen his early, early, early ones. What about yourself, Sophie? I mean, I think I have seen Dogtooth. I don't think I've seen... Everyone says I need to see The Lobster and I've never seen it. And that's The Lobster's yeah. Lobster, isn't it? Not The Lobster. It's not a seafood restaurant. Um, <laughs> they've said that I need to see it. But yeah, I mean, I watched it again yesterday just to brush myself up on it. I've seen it a couple of times and it just... I have many things to say about it that kind of freak me out and also make me be like, I don't ever need to see this film ever again. It's one of those films that like, you either like that type of director and that type of film or you don't. And I I think I sit very much on the, the other fence of it. So good on Miss for, for bringing it to the plate because I never would have chosen it. You've shown your hand there as to the repeat viewing score, potentially, potentially. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, The Lobster is... It's definitely lighter than this, although that's not really, a, it's not really a heavy film. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's quite a heavy film in itself. Um, so if you can handle Killing a Sacred Deer, I think you can definitely handle this. Okay. Um, the favourite is definitely more, I think it would say more accessible. It's mainstream, It's less it? kind of, you're sorry? It's more of a mainstream film. And even then that's saying something, if that's oh, more mainstream. Oh, maybe I have seen The Favourite. What is, I'm yeah. just Olivia trying to remember Coleman what that's won about. Olivia won Oscar for it. Yes, um, yes, I have yeah. seen it. Yes, there's a scene yes. in the bed with with yeah. with yeah yeah i know that famous and scene yeah the, the station station yeah. looks like a badger yes yeah yeah um, i've definitely seen that yeah so um yeah so that's i can understand that that's kind of a nice entryway into people <laughs> and depending on how people respond to it do you say do you say um maybe try the lobster <laughs> and yeah. see how people respond to lobster and then say well, okay maybe you're ready for killing of a sacred deer <laughs> but you've just gone straight into killing of a sacred deer um, well, mainly because it was the one that was on Netflix. Sure. <laughs> I've done Lobster before, so you couldn't have had that. Yeah. But this uh, this film is, um, this is I mean, it's pretty wild and dark. But one of the questions I put to the team beforehand was, is, is, this, a, is this a horror? Any thoughts? I don't, I mean, I would say not in the traditional sense. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no jump scares. There's no real, like, obviously there is a it's never discussed, but there is an element of something weird or supernatural or witchcrafty going on, obviously with, with mm. what happens to the kids. So, um, I don't know. I think it's more like a, a dark menacing kind of film noir thriller thing. Maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I, again, one of the reasons I don't, when I can't put something in a box, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't categorize it. I find it really uncomfortable. I'm like, I just want to know what it is. That's where I am. Well, so yeah. Dark menacing <laughs> thriller thing is one of the, one of the categories in Netflix. So that's. Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe. That's good to know. Good to know. Me and the algorithm, <laughs> we're great. We're, we're lined up. Good to know. Where are you, Helen? This? I think I'm not sure it's a horror. I, 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 I kind of, think it would probably align a little bit with like Michael Haneke's films and I think he's like a genre in his own um so yeah it's that weird unsettling of something not quite being right but not being scary and kind of like a typical there's it's a fear of something that isn't sort of like personified in like a monster or a werewolf or something like that that's in horror and then it's also got moments that are really really funny so it's like a, a weird little genre on its own outside in like a weird dark cupboard like at the back <laughs> of a street and it's all boarded outside. up and sometimes like you have a peek in there and you're like oh shall I go in you go in they're like yeah I shouldn't have gone in there <laughs> yeah I'd agree with that definitely <laughs> yeah I, I think it has parallels with almost like a psychological 
horror, but mm. in like the story it's telling is is almost like the the Greek tragedy um, with again elements of that very dark comedy and and introspection on on like a a theme, and it goes so deep into that theme, and I think it is almost his his way of doing dialogue that adds to the unsettling nature along with the music that that mm. Sophie and I were talking about before the the conversation um I think those things almost give it an element of horror but if you just analyze what happens it's it's not really a horror film in itself well it kind of follows Colin Farrell's characters um it's you know guilt it seems whether he wants to admit it or not pulls him together with um Martin Mm. Um, and that kind of spurs relationship on, but like you say, Sophie, there's some, I don't know whether, whether you want to call it supernatural elements or just creepiness, but that kind of comes out left field. The, the fact that suddenly Bob can't, can't walk. And then, um, Martin by Kieran's character says, well, this is what's going to happen. Uh, all you people are going to die. You need to choose one. Um, and by the way, it's going to get progressively worse until one of them dies. And then I think with the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, have I missed something here in the setup that's kind of leading this way? But then, no, no, you've not missed anything. It's just like, this is how it's going to be. And it's, it progressively kind of gets worse. And then I think the reason I was talking about the horror aspects, I think, I think it's potentially the most horrific part was the bleeding eyes. Um, and then, mm. you know, having to determine which, which person in your family you want to kill, which is both horrific, but also tinged with comedy at the same time is spinning around with a blindfold on shooting a gun, which is, what a way to finish a film, I guess. But yeah, I don't. I, I felt there was definitely horror tropes in there. I felt there's brooding and there's uh, menace. I think is a great is a great terminology to put in there. But I'm not sure where the menace was. There's a tiny from. bit of it that leans ever so. I mean, like you're talking three percent, five percent. That almost leans towards a bit sci-fi as well. Like some of the way it's shot up, the, the set up, the shots, the kind of like. You know, there's there's lots of kind of, isn't there, kind of cipher movies that don't you never really see the monster. It's just kind of there. It's or whatever mm. the the you know, the science fiction is based. So there's an element of it when I first I remember when I first watched it, I thought, is this a weird, creepy sci-fi film? Is there gonna be aliens involved that are gonna use that kind of thing? Because until you uh, it's revealed kind of halfway through what's happening and what the plot is, you don't really know. And it, it could go that way, and I think that's quite interesting. That's one of the things that drew me to to the film initially, I think, is is that almost fantasy, sci-fi, horror, but it isn't quite any of those things. It's leaving your imagination up to it. And it gave me a lot of Twin Peaks almost vibes of mm. things that get said. And it's like, is there something odd about this? But it's not obvious in your face, <laughs> like fantasy or witchcraft. Yeah. That's it. It's not, no, no one's wearing, no one's got wings or anything like that. Or no one's <laughs> casting spells. Um, They're my favourite the, films. <laughs> <laughs> I think with, with Barry Keown, I think he's is a, is a really interesting uh, antagonist in this. And initially, you see him, you just feel sorry for the guy, but then you just see this this, this kind of brooding menace to the extent that when he's eating like spaghetti, you like this is something not right <laughs> with this guy at all. Yeah, <laughs> go on, Helen. What, I, I, Barry I Keown as Martin. I mean, I, I love I love him um, in the films that I've seen. And the spaghetti scene is one of my favourite scenes because he's talking about how he thinks like this eating spaghetti was like a really special way because his father ate spaghetti like that. And it turns out it's just the way that you you eat spaghetti. <laughs> it's just it's just great. And I don't know what it is about it that I like it. I think 
the the second time watching it, I just think it's a really fascinating film about a man who's so in control of his life that suddenly one event happens and suddenly he loses kind of like all of the control in his life and it's kind of like left to him to regain control but in a way that he doesn't want to do it and it's just great like watching him have this kind of like really weird meltdown um particularly a, like a rolling round hair where like he threatens Bob that like if he doesn't have a haircut he's gonna cut off his hair and make him eat it and then there's a scene where he's searching the kitchen for the pubes and he's showing off like his armpit hair because uh, he's been told that his armpit hair is considerably more than the, the Martins so there's just <laughs> and he's, he's also like an obsession with like having his having lovely hands which is mentioned throughout mm. so Mm. yeah it's there's lots of uneasiness but also absurd kind of weirdness happening yeah there's there's a couple there's it's said a couple of times isn't it where Nicole Kidman has to pretend she's under general anesthetic for him to try and have sex with his wife who is Nicole Kidman and it's a very strange like (laughs) you're kind of thinking to yourself he's obviously a man who's so involved in his work and it means so much to him that he it physically bleeds over into his personal life and in, into his fetishes or kinks or whatever he has as well. So that's quite interesting, I thought. What did you make of the kind of Yorgos Lanthimos of it all in terms of, would the, I mean, would this work, do you think, if it was a standard delivery? How do you think it would be perceived? How do you think you would have taken it if it was a standard d- delivered in the way that any other film maker would have asked you to do so i'm sure there'd be riots from the daily mail probably <laughs> i found the dialogue oh sorry the, the the way the dialogue and the way that they obviously uh, they acted is just really disturbing <laughs> really, this is the whole thing about me finding the film really uncomfortable so i say to miss it's yeah. that and the music are the two things that i find very uncomfortable i don't like high-pitched strings it, it just at random places just make me upset me just my ears so (laughs) so like I thought that that diet and what's really interesting is because I was watching it again for like the third time and I knew it I was looking for points where I felt they ever so slightly broke that like kind of monotone non-emotional dialogue and I think there is a point when Nicole Kidman breaks it slightly and I and I think it's when she's talking to to him about taking the kids home, I think it is. And I can't work out whether that is a slip up by her as an actress or whether that was maybe put in to be a very small bit of of emotion that she showed. And then obviously it rained back in. But but yeah, and it's it's really interesting because obviously uh Martin speaks like that as well. And I think yeah. there was and and I think maybe and I think there was a comment on Twitter, wasn't there, about it? I read that one of your guys reposted when you asked questions and said like were they representing him as being like neurodivergent, like neurodiverse kind of thing? And and so was that a play on on kind of, did the director decide to be like, well, everyone's going to speak like this, not just him, because I don't want people to think that that is, you know, part of the, the reason case, yeah. he is how he is, which I thought was really interesting. I thought when I saw that comment, I thought, but everyone kind of speaks in, in what you would call maybe a non-emotional tone. Um, so yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. I think with um, there's another scene where where Colin Farrell drives to his house, Martin's house, and like threatens him, and I think that was slightly outside of the outside of the standard delivery there as well. Um, from yeah, from the 
reserves the reserved aspects of things. I mean, even when like Alicia Silverstone's throwing himself at him, he's still kind of got that. Uh, no, I don't want your I don't want your pie. I'm I'm going home now to be with my. Mm. There's like there's no emotion kind of in that apart from the fact he's just like I don't want to be here now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. You saying about looking for those those moments where it does veer from the norm, the standard set within this film. And there's a scene as well, isn't there, where the daughter, whose name I can't remember, she, when she goes down to the basement, and he's tied down there, and she's like, "You've got to try harder. You've got to try harder." And she's obviously a bit more emotional then. And I, again, I don't understand that scene. I'm like, "What? Try harder at getting her dad to decide who to kill, or <laughs> so she can get on with her life, or or die." I was always wondered with that bit when she was down in the basement talking to Marty, and I was like, "What's what's that about? What's she talking about?" <laughs> I, I thought that part of the that deadpan delivery on both sides adds an element of ambiguity as well because I know that the instant thought from I think everyone here is that Martin is like the villain, but actually the whole family and and Colin Farrell's characters pretty like messed up and like like not quite right, and I think mm. that if if the delivery was was more obvious. You could draw parallels to a lot of the the almost anti-hero films that are revenge films on taking it out on on someone that's caused you caused you pain. And I think that that ambiguity where you're not quite sure you don't really like anyone in that situation, they're all kind of messed up, leaves it a more even playing field for having those discussions about it. I think definitely there's some kind of revenge aspect too, isn't there? That's that's a I think it's a fair point that. And, you know, Nicole Kidman, as she's trying to uncover what happened and why their family's been, is at the centre of this horrible, um, to be tragedy. She's asking, were you drunk? Did you have a drink before operating on, on this guy? Um, so there's definitely a history there that's kind of unpeeled with that, that, um, and a family history there that's, that's not, that's not quite right. I was just going to say on villains, then like, is Martin actually the villain? Because actually you could argue that it's Stevens the villain. He was the one who killed Martin's father and he was potentially drunk when he was operating and that this really is, it, is, is it anything Martin's doing? Like, could it not be just be like karma or his fate that for that decision he made for that? And I also think about the languages, it's, it's kind of like, that world building thing. So, you know, you, everyone kind of speaks like this. So, you know, that you're in the the world of Yorgos and it's all like a bit weird and it's a bit strange and everyone speaks like this and they're obsessed with what sea level your watch will go down to. And that's a completely normal thing to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. with in the same way that in sci-fi films that, you know, people wear like certain outfits or like the planets look like a different way. It's just... Mm. a little bit of world building into his weird and slightly deranged world let's head to the scores guys I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author and host of Women vs Hollywood a new podcast from the Stripped Media family we're exploring the fall and rise of women in Hollywood from the silent era to the present day and into the future. Each episode, I'm joined by three or more special guests to discuss the challenges that women face in the film industry and look at what we can do to change the picture. 
We've got actors, directors, producers, writers, academics, film experts, you name it, they're all here to explain what's going on in Hollywood. Search for Women vs. Hollywood now, wherever you're listening to this, and come join us. So welcome to the Flix Watcher Scores. All of our scores are out of five. If you want to add decimal places, you can. And we will start with you, please, Ms, with your recommendability. Um, I am going to give it a four recommendability. Do I explain why or is it just scores? Yeah. You know, give us, give us a little uh, nugget of uh, what, you, what you're thinking, what you're Main, thinking for. Mainly because I think it's a film that, that people will love or hate and have something to say. Like they will have something to say about it. So I think in, in that sense, I'm not saying they'll love it, but they'll definitely have an opinion about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a provocative film. Uh, four for provocativeness. Provocability. I don't know. That's not a word. That's not a word. Recommendability isn't a word either, but we're mm. going <laughs> to get into the dictionary one it day. It is a word. Uh, <laughs> Sophie, your recommendability score. Um, I'm going to say 2.5. Um, because I feel like, I suppose it's, a, it's, I agree with Miss, like you're either going to love it or you'll hate it. And because I don't, didn't enjoy it and found it an uncomfortable watch, that's why I wouldn't recommend it because you only really recommend films you, you enjoy watching, right? Most people do. So I think that's, that's why. And I think watch The Lobster, even though I haven't seen it, that'll be my piece of advice. Watch The Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, I think you definitely, definitely start with the favourites and then see where, see yeah, where you rest Yeah, this is true. I that. keep forgetting you did the favourite, yeah. Because it is, it, favourite's odd enough. I mean, the favorite's definitely odd, but yeah. at least it's like, it can be perceived as wacky, I think. Um, yeah, and people can get lost and... in their like Bridgerton crown style of yeah, love, exactly. period, period drama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Period stuff, yeah. It's a wacky period romp. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> romp's not the word. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. 2.5, uh, Helen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I was ranking them, I would probably go the favourite, the lobster, this, dog tooth. I would also say that if you've uh, enjoyed the the, the banishes of Inner Sharon and enjoyed watching Co- Colin and Barry uh, together on film and that, then you should should watch this if you haven't, because this is where it all began for them and they they work together and it's this kind of slightly strange strange uh, way that they started work together. But if you're wondering how it all began, come here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a four. I think. If you've liked his other works and you haven't seen this one, then you should definitely see it. I originally didn't watch this because I read some reviews that, was, that said it was like really, really bad. And I watched it and went, they were wrong. This is great. I'm really enjoying it. So, um, yeah, I was a little bit late to this. I was like, why did no one tell me this was great? You all lied. I was very happy about that. So, yeah, I'm going to say a four. If you like this other stuff and you haven't seen this one, then you should definitely see it. Yeah, I'm going to um, let's join. let's join you guys in the four. I think it's... Um, I'm really interested to see whatever film Yorgos does going forward. In, it won't be running the mill. I would. I wouldn't have thought. Um, and this is his hardest one to definitely get into. I think I've like, like, I've not seen his, his Greek language one, so that's setting those aside. Definitely lobster. I mean, leaning into repeat being score lobster and favorite more uh, repeatable watches of films. Um, but I was definitely glad to see this again. This is my second time, and I was, I was looking forward to it again. Because uh, it did freak me out. Barry Keown is really is a really interesting actor. Barry Keown, right from the gate, he's been like a slightly oddball. He's in he's in Dunkirk, but then he's also in like Eternals, Eternals. and it's kind of, it's always kind of interesting to see how he plays stuff. In, it's, it's, in Eternals, he's quite 
an interesting character as well uh, in that, I think. So I'm always keen to see what Barry Keown uh, does going forward. Repeat viewing score, Miz. Are we, how many times does repeat mean? Is, is this like repeat, watch it twice, three times to not miss think, anything or over and over and over I think again? It's, well, you've got, you've got your benchmark. You'll, you'll know the films that you've watched the most and then kind of wait, first of all, weigh up against that kind of thing. And then also, and then I think there's also sometimes where there's, there's films that you need to definitely watch it again. Maybe, maybe not straight away or, but you need, you definitely need to watch it again. And then maybe you think, okay, that's it for me. But how much you need to rewatch it kind of weighs into that. Yeah. If you can I, distill I, that into a score out of five. Wouldn't go very, I'd say a two. A two. Like I, 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 I like this film, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch it over and over and over again. It's uh, trying to spot anything that you might have missed in, in what's going on from my point of view. <laughs> uh, Sophie, I won. <laughs> and you've seen it three <laughs> times as well. I know. I yeah, know. Exactly. You've seen so it the most of all of us. Ironically, yes, but yeah, it's it's um. Yeah, it's, again, like I said, just an uncomfortable watch for me. So I just wouldn't put myself through it again. And I actually had a nightmare last night that I had to like <laughs> pick somebody to fire from from Audi, and I was like, "What the hell?" So <laughs> I didn't pick you, Miss. Um, Thank you. But yeah, so it was obviously all related to that and having to make a choice. And so I just was like, I don't, "No, I don't need this in my life. Take me back to my my angels and demons, as you'll find out my my one soon." <laughs> <laughs> Um, Helen. So yeah, this is my second time watching it. Um, I think I only saw it maybe like a year, a year and a half ago. So oh, wow, um, okay. I was looking forward to, well, wasn't really looking forward to it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> going to get to see these weird bits again. I was looking forward to it in, in a weird way. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to watch it again. Um, it's also over two hours and it, it does feel a little bit of its length. So, uh, a three. I'm going to go for 2.5. I definitely will watch it again. Um, and I think it'll, depending on, on the films he's coming out with in the in the coming future, him being Yorgos Lanthimos, I'll pull it out again. I don't think it'll be a frequent watch, rewatch, certainly. Um, I definitely need to watch The Favourite again. And I need to get back into into his uh, Greek language films, get, get into his Greek language films in the first place, uh, to check out how they compare. But um, yeah, 2.5. I will watch it again, maybe twice. Um, small screen score, Miss. I mean, I've seen this in the cinema. I didn't watch it in the cinema. No, I, I watched it at home. But I would give this a, a high small screen score. I think four point five, like if not five. Like I don't think it requires a big screen to to fully appreciate. I think it's more the soundtrack and the dialogue that's going to freak you out as opposed to the the imagery <laughs> itself. Um, so which which one? Four point five or five? 4.5. I don't like giving fives. It feels, it feels too, too like, it's like, that's a perfect score. <laughs> Sophie. Um, yeah, I think the first time I saw it, I just see it in the cinema. And again, I comment on the music because music is just, it's just so much to me in a film. And obviously the cinema had like Dolby Atmos or whatever it had. And just hearing those high pitched shrieks and that bass and that double bass come through was, it, it was made it really uncomfortable. I'll keep talking the word uncomfortable because that is the only word I can think to describe this film. But I do think seeing it with that level of sound was, was quite incredible. So I think you can watch it on a small screen, but have a decent soundbar would be my my piece of advice, probably to really <laughs> yeah, feel agree with that. part of the madness of it. Well, yeah. 
So I would say... Well, if anyone listening wants to donate a very fancy uh, Sonos Arc soundbar to us, yeah, I know that which one I want, yeah. uh, please uh, get in contact <laughs> with... <laughs> so I would say small screen, probably three, I'd say. Okay. Because mm. that cinematic experience was so visceral to you. Yeah, for me, it's what I really remember is 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 just the, the audio of and, you know, the, the soundtrack of it through that, that kind of large speaker set was what made it even more uncomfortable <laughs> the first time sure. the second yes no bear guess no bear really <laughs> helen yeah i didn't see this at the cinema because i mentioned the reviews weren't that favorable and uh, i would have loved to have seen it at the cinema i would have had a great time i like seeing films like this that maybe challenge people's reactions in in the cinema um because i saw the lobster in the cinema and i saw it was seen the favorite so this kind of annoys me that i didn't get to see this at the cinema it's a little bit of a blip um but that said, like, I still had a fairly good time, but um, I think having watched it with um, to see other people's reaction and count the amount of people who walk out with, is always a fun game to play with fun films like this. So I'm going to give Did, it a were people Were people walking out? I imagine this is this this feels like the kind of film that people would walk out. Oh, you with. mean you thought mm. you, sorry, of course, I, you didn't see yeah, the cinema. I didn't see I was just, it. But it's got that vibe. You'd imagine people would have walked out. Yeah. At what point? Maybe when Bob's eyes started to bleed. <laughs> I think personally, people would have walked out at the point where Colin Farrell talks about wanking his dad off. There is no other way of shaping that. And I think that's when I would have been like, oh, let me share a secret with you about when I wanked my dad off. I was a bit like, I'm just not here for this anymore. I'm just not here for this type of dialogue. I'm not there. Like That is probably where most people would have, would have walked out, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't see that many people walking, walking out of films. Maybe I'd just go... Um, I've seen a few recently. The, have you? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, they would have paid at least like £13 to, to see this. And it's like, yeah, you only even got like 20 minutes left, but it was just enough. It was it was too much, I think. It was the triangle of sadness. So if you know anything about that, then maybe that kind of like gauges it. And the, the most recent Cronenberg. So he's still got it. <laughs> I guess maybe then it's just... Uh, well, it's, it's a sunken cost fallacy. If you pay 30 quid, 13 quid, and you think, look, 20 minutes is up, I've had enough, let's just move on with the rest of my life, then that's kind of fair enough. I think people uh, I've, walk never, out I've never walked out of a cinema. I think people walk out of cinemas when the trailer has very much misled them as to what the film is about. And that's happened with a few mm. trailers. I think this this might have actually been a film where I, I saw the trailer in another film and thought that looks really good. And then when I saw yeah. it, it was nothing like the trailer had kind of interpreted to me or maybe I'd made that assumption so that's probably why I was like what's going on what's happening because I just I think the trailer had, had made it maybe a bit more Hollywood than that it actually was if I remember rightly yeah I think I just remember this was his next film Yorgos his next film I thought well I'm gonna watch that that's fine um sorry small screen score Helen I said four four yeah um I did see the cinema as well and I do agree with the kind of discordant strings uh adding to the whole overall freakiness of the of the of the atmosphere um though i think yeah the rewatson's on the on the small screen at home was was perfectly fine um i do have a soundbar uh, it was lovely <laughs> 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 um i do recommend the sonus arc soundbar if you have it it's a <laughs> Going to get that sponsorship we'll for to- you guys. That's what I'm doing. Oh, I'm working do. straight please to Sonus. Do. I don't have one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to go for a, a four because I mean it was good in cinema. I don't think I, I, don't, I think I went by myself to watch it, and it was it was a nice kind of a freaky experience for like a Sunday or Saturday afternoon. It would have been. 
Um, engagement score, Miz. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back on what I said and actually just give this a five because I wouldn't put mm. this film on <laughs> unless I'm going to finish it. Like there's, there's, it's not the kind of film I'm going to put on to, uh, to watch a bit of. It's, it's very much focusing on what's being said and what's going on. And like, it's yeah, quite an intense ride that you're getting on. <laughs> you're going to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> Sophie. Um, three. I think maybe like, as in, you know, uh, again, like Miss said, you, you can't kind of just watch it in the background like you can with some films, you have to be engaged with it. But um, yeah, I think, it's, yeah, I just, I just, at certain points I did want to, to walk out my cinema of my front room at certain points. I was like, oh, I need a break. I need a tea break. I'm watching this for the third time. It's just, yeah, no, it's just, it's good. It's fine. <laughs> Helen. Um, this time round, I was kind of like having a little bit of a scan of trivia and reading some letterboxed reviews of it. So balancing that with my higher first time with slightly lower, it comes in at a four for engagement. Yeah, I'm going 4.5. I think it's it's certainly the first time. You, we have no idea where it's going. And like I say, Barry Keown's just kind of set the set the set the uh, the template of what's going to happen in the film. If he doesn't obey the rules, you're like, you kind of like, is this, are his eyes going to bleed? Is that, is that what's going to, oh yeah, okay, yeah, his, his eyes are bleeding. <laughs> I can tell. Um, so it was, you had no idea where this is going to go. So I did, I was, you know, I was fully in it. Um, slight decrease because it's the second time I watched it, so I knew where it was going to go. But I think it's still very an engaging film. So that gives 4.5, that gives an overall score of uh, 3.46875. Uh, I thought it was going to be slightly higher than that, but I think that's fair because, the, yeah, it's a hard film to repeat view, I think. Um, guys, let's head to Twitter. Uh, everyone who's listening, if you are not, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please do. We are at FlixWatcherPod. And follow us because we do talk about films on Netflix in general and other films. And also, before we go into record, we put a little tweet out asking for you guys to, to give your comments and we'll give you a shout out on the films like this. So look out for a tweet saying something like this. We're reviewing Killing of a Sacred Deer with Pouchatron and Ms. Trujillo. Is that how you say it? Trujillo. So very close. <laughs> Trujillo. <laughs> um, we'll talk about where, which, which, your Spanish dialect there later on uh, from all these shows. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and score up five stars for a shout out on Flixwatcher. And we had a couple of responses, one a bit more in depth. Um, so uh, do you want to take the first one, whichever one takes you fancy? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll start with the, the one I've got at the top, which is Lee Thomas. Um, Deliberately strange performances for a unique filmmaker made for an odd but interesting movie. Prefer Lobster and Favourite, but I'm never bored watching Lanthimos stuff. 3.5 Lanthimos. Yeah. So if you need to watch the lobster, let us let us know when you watch it. Um, <laughs> do you want to take the, the 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 double David Trumbull, Sophie? So I've got David Trumbull who said a movie featuring a gifted cast and handsome style that I sadly despise with a rare passion due to the creative choice to code Barry Keegan's character as being on the spectrum. Yeah, this is what we were talking about earlier. As obviously, mm. as offensively awful and showy performance that I blame both actor and director for, one of two tweets. My partner's son is neurodiverse and believe me when I say they are fully aware of the harmful tropes filmmakers casually employ, a pretentious and, oh God, I hate this word, perenni, perennial stereotype for all the movie's avant-garde stylings amounts to simply, they're pretty creepy, huh? 1.5 stars. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's something I picked up on as well. I thought they kind of shape him as this. He reminded me a bit of that um, 
Tilda Swanson, who we'll be talking about in a bit. Uh, let's talk about Kevin, that kind of character. Do you know what I mean? They kind of really mm. like to trope these kind of like, they they never say they're neurodiverse, but they kind of, you know, in, in, insinuate Unsettled due to their lack kids. of emotional resonance that they are, you know, unsettled in some way or on a spectrum somewhere. They I feel that that can, yeah, lead to a trope of being a bit like, are they all weird? Are they all, you know, American gun high school killers or whatever? And I feel that is, that's quite uncomfortable. So that's where... I thought when I first saw that performance, I thought, oh, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I can see definitely where David's going. And I, I do have small, um, experience with neurodiverse uh, people. Um, and I, I think I just need to understand more about where it's, where it's coming from with this. Cause my, my initial thought was that all the actors are playing the same kind of, uh, are acting the same kind of style. So if there is a, in my mind, if there is something again to, if there is something to talk about with the neurodiversity, I think maybe it's something that applies to all the acting rather than Barry mm. Barry Keown specifically. So that's why I'd I'd like to understand a bit more about what what the thoughts are there. I can I can see what you're saying, but I think it's yeah, it's it applies to the whole cast, not just not just Barry or or the way um, Yorgos asks his actors to act, because then it applies definitely to the Lobster as well, mm. um, not just to this. So yeah, there's probably something to dig in there a bit deeper. Uh, David Trouble has been on our show before, so maybe we'll bring him back and ask him um, a bit more about it. Uh, but thank you very much, Sophie and Miz. It's been great to talk about uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, has it? I don't know, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> it's certainly been interesting and uncomfortable it's for It's been Sophie, interesting. So sorry about that. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what you... That's why you chose it, Ms. Right? That's it, so, that's it. Sorry, specifically to give you nightmares. <laughs> but you know, they always say, don't they, that films are meant to make you feel something, whether it's really uncomfortable and or, you know, great joy or freaked out. And so in that way, it's it's a successful film because it's made me feel something. I'm not numb to it. I'm just yeah. just done with it. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's made me feel something. So yeah. Uh, well, can you sign us off, guys, by saying where we can find you online and uh, say goodbye to listeners? Yeah. Buy listeners or buy listeners. That's actually weird. But yeah, um, uh, I'm Sophie, but you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is, is Pouchatron. And also check out Audi.co and Audi Shows on Twitter as well. Um, and if you have a podcast and you're interested in learning a bit more, find me on Twitter and hit me up. Miz? And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miz underscore Trujillo. You can find that via the Flix Watcher Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to find the spelling for that. And yeah, follow us at Audi. You can listen to some of the past podcast episodes I've got under Promote the Hell Out of It on Twitter as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production